Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Well, happy Mother's Day. If you haven't had a chance or want to talk to your mother, I encourage you to do so. It's hung up on the... Sorry. Uh, Yep. (laughs) I texted her already this morning. She has an iPhone, which is amazing. Um, If you haven't met me, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and so glad you decided to join us this morning, whether you're online or sitting in this room. Uh, it's, it's a great day because it's not raining. And uh, we are in the middle of a series that we are calling the Upside Down Kingdom. We took a little break over Easter, but we've come back to it. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you want to open your Bibles there, but you're going to want to wait a minute because I got a little bit of an introduction to this. Um, we want to encourage you, first of all, if you have questions concerning what is happening in this conversation this morning, you can text them in. I think uh, the number will pop up on the screen. There it is. Uh, At home, obviously, it's going to be hard for you to raise your hand, but uh, feel free to text. Susie's monitoring the text line. And there will be a a natural break in here at some point where I'll ask you if you have questions. So if you're an extrovert and you want to talk to everybody in the room, including me, feel free. Um, But we are in the process of a a uh, two-week excerpt on prayer. And last week, Mike... um, spoke on um, prayer being something that can be used in two ways. One is as a public display of of piety or also a way to be, um, should be more in in private. So now this this morning we're going to dive into the Lord's Prayer. But before we do that, um, I'm going to take you and meander you a little bit through a passage of scripture that you're all very familiar with. And I know it's Mother's Day, and I'm probably going to get a text or an email on this, but I, I, I felt like we don't fully grasp all the time when we step into this idea of prayer who we're talking to. And, and a lot of that revolves around cultural norms. Um, some of it revolves around the way we were taught, and a lot of it, I think, is the baggage we bring with us from our relationships with our parents. And so with that, I want to take you actually to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 11 through 32, and you're going to know the story. It's the story of the prodigal sons. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I said sons, not son, so just it wasn't an error, and a prodigal father. And, and I want to invite you into just focusing a little bit on who the father is in the story. Because I think the story of the prodigal helps us understand prayer better in light of our understanding of Father. And so please listen as I read. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop after verse 20 and make a few comments so it'll, it'll be interspersed throughout. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, <coughs> excuse me, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Just a couple of points before we continue the story. And the first is this, is that what we begin to recognize in this story is that the father is not controlling. The father allows the children their agency. He allows them to make decisions. He allows them the freedom of good choices and bad choices. And that is really important. Because oftentimes when we approach God, we will go into his presence thinking that he is controlling and yet, he allows us and invites us as we are. And thank you for that water, Sam. I appreciate it. Yes. Yes, great care, Pastor. Okay. The second thing is, and, and I love this, this verse, verse 20 is so good. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. There is this sense of where we get the picture that the father is watching for him. He's looking. He's waiting. The father runs to him. He's excited to see him. Even in all the bad choices, all the mistakes, all the things that went wrong, the father runs to him and is excited to see him. I don't know if we approach God with the idea that he's excited to see us. Even in, even in our... Um, sin in our mistakes and our bad choices, the Father is excited to converse with us. The Father was filled with compassion for him, was filled with compassion. His disposition towards the Son was such that he, was, he, he knew that he had made the mistakes. He knew that he was a screw-up. He knew that he took the stuff that God had given him, that the Father had given him, and he squandered it all, but yet he's filled with compassion. I don't know. Sometimes when you come into the presence of the Father, that's not what you're expecting, is compassion. This may be, not be your experience, but it is the experience with many with parents. Their expectations are high. Ex you don't fulfill those expectations. But this is how Jesus describes the Father to his people. And then the story continues. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice that the compassion came before the confession. Notice that the run came before the confession. Notice that the, the eyes of God was looking before the confession. Comes the confession. So, so it's like God doesn't even hear or the father doesn't even hear. What he says, because what does he say? But the father said to the servants, he doesn't even talk to the son. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. The father celebrates relationship when it's restored. The father loves relationship. And in that relationship, he's inviting us into a conversation with him. He throws a party, he 
throws a party. Is that how you experience the Father? And he is so forgiving. He's quick to forgive. Quick to restore. Quick to embrace. Well, then we get the rest of the story, don't we? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come. Brother's come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. So if you didn't know the rest of the story, how would you think the older brother would respond if you don't know the rest of the story? I'm so glad to see my brother. I can't wait to see him and come in and celebrate that he was once dead and now he's alive. Nope. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So now we see the father again. So the father leaves the party for the younger, and he goes out. And he, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. One of the brothers was close, and one of the brothers was far away, and neither of them could figure out the father. They didn't see him as he was. They saw him as they wanted to. And they made presumptions. The one presumption was is that he'll never let me back into his good graces. I'll just go back and work for him. And he's embraced as a son again. The other son, who stayed close, saw him as a slave. Master. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could go and celebrate with my friends. But when that son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father wants his son to forgive like he forgave. He wants him to rejoice like he rejoices. But he also respects the older son's will, his agency. Yeah, he pleads with him to come in, but he doesn't force him in. He doesn't control him. He lets him be in his own decision. The story is about a radical father, I think, God, and his deep love for his sons, his children. And you. Yep. I'm good with that, if you're okay. I have uh, grandchildren make more noise than that. <clears throat> but he, he loves them both. And we begin to see a picture of God here when it comes, I think, to prayer. So what is your posture in prayer when you come into the presence of God? Is it familiar? Is it one where you are anticipating a relationship of excitement with God to engage with you? Do you come apprehensive, thinking, man, he's, there's no way he's going to receive me? A lot of our prayer life revolves around this idea of our perception of God. Our perception of God as our parent. 
But beyond that, it also buys into this idea of who we are as his children. And I want to share another verse with you in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's this picture, right? I, I, I don't fully grasp it in the idea of that I am somehow adopted into the family of God as a full child, as a full member of the family, as a child who would receive like any other child would receive from the Father. So part of this, too, in the understanding of prayer is understanding who God is in light of who we are, but also then understanding what he's done for us to transform us into his children and thus cementing a relationship that will allow us to enter into the presence of God in such a way that the conversation that takes place between the child and the father is one of intimacy, love, connection, forgiveness, and all the things that we anticipate what a loving father loving mother, a loving parent would do for their children. But I guess for us, the question then sits, there's a question that hangs over that, is A, do we really believe that? <laughs> that God is predisposed towards us, that he condescends to us in such a way that we begin to recognize that what he brings to this conversation is his full attention, what he brings to the conversation is beyond his full attention. His is deep adoration for us. What he brings to the conversation is a deep love for us, a sense of forgiveness, a, a sense of acceptance that we can't find anywhere else. Do we believe that? And do we believe that we're actually his children? Because our identity matters in this. Because the moment we step into that relationship with God, there is a conversation that takes place that implies intimacy. Or it implies, I've got to earn the intimacy. I've got to be good enough. See, the younger son believed with his whole heart that he had to figure out how to win back his dad. He had to figure out how to get back into his good graces. He didn't think he could, so he was willing to take less than, to just be cared for, to be taken care of, to be a hired hand. <coughs> just so you know, sometimes that's just life, right? That sometimes is my prayer. My prayer life goes that way at times. My prayer life with God goes, look, I know I'm a screw-up. I know I've made a lot of mistakes. If you would just give me a break. But oftentimes it doesn't even get to that place. When I'm in that state of mind, my prayer life usually dwindles into I just don't talk to him anymore. It's easier not to talk to them. It's easier not to talk to a parent when you're mad at them or they're mad at you. When it isn't the way you want it to be, it's easier just to distance yourself and be apart. You can live in the same house with somebody and not talk to them. You can be somebody's child and not be in relationship that's deep enough to have a conversation doesn't negate the child-parent relationship. You're still the child. You're still their parent. 
as much as we try. We can't do this perfectly. But the essence of this is what is so different from the way that this crowd learned in that day how to pray. Prayers were not about intimacy. They, Jesus is proposing that there's this new way to come into the presence of God without an intermediary, without somebody who stands in the gap, without a sense of distance, but up close. And you have a God who is described in this as one who runs to talk, to embrace, to forgive. <clears throat> so I have a question that um, I think all of us need to wrestle with. Is that how you perceive your relationship with God? Because it, if it's different than embracing this idea of a forgiving father, a forgiving parent, a loving parent, then your prayer life is going to be directly affected by that. How you engage in conversation God, with God matters. And so I just, I know that that's a, a, a broad, sweeping, brief introduction. Are there any questions about the idea that this, this relationship between us and God is a parent-child relationship? And that it is not a matter of earning that. Are there any questions around that idea? Or your identity in Christ, that you are a child of God? Because those two things add up to where we're going with the child. With I know it's not a deep concept, but it is extraordinarily important to our faith. How we see God matters. Okay. I know I didn't explain it that well, but let's go. <clears throat> yeah. That's a good question. Thanks, Earl. What if I don't see God that way? How do I change that? That is the great question of the day. Because I think part of our dilemma is, is we assign to God um, many things that don't belong to God. And one of those is, is the relationship that we've had with our parents, relationship we've had with other people. And so we assume in many ways, and actually we're taught sometimes that God is this way, that God is a God of wrath, or God is a God of um, discipline or pain, or you fill in the blank. Of, of what that is. Most of the time, our pain is a result of our agency, our own agency, our own decisions. Um, so we, we assign to God things that probably are not to be assigned to God. And so if we can, in many ways, remove those, but it's really hard. I have found that the best way to do that um, is to remind myself of truths about what God says about me um, and that number one truth is, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I keep coming back to that phrase because of my need to be reminded that it isn't anything that I've done that God loves me and is in a relationship with me, but it's actually what he did that allows for the relationship to continue and be intimate. I love the fact that the father runs to the son before he confesses. 
I love that. Because sometimes we don't even know what we have to confess for. So those are pictures. I think it's partly, you know, also being able to decipher what I don't believe about myself to allow myself to go into the presence of God. That somehow that I'm not worthy when he tells us over and over again that you are. So all those things are true, but sometimes we just don't believe they're true. It's a struggle. Thanks, Earl. It's a great question. Let's go to Matthew 6 and look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, how many of you learned this when you were a kid in school or at, not at school, Sunday school? Oh, well, you guys are kind of shy about it, but okay. <laughs> I learned it as something that we had to do every, uh, we had what was called opening exercises in church. Um, I always thought it should be something we would run to do, um, but it wasn't. Uh, and we would, we would quote this prayer, and we would do it as a group. It would be a corporate prayer. And, um, and, and for me, it, it just lost total meaning as a child. It was just something to get through. Oftentimes, we would say it as fast as we could. We'd race. Um, and so as I've gotten older, to parse this out a little bit, has been really helpful. But I'm going to start up above in chapter, five, in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 5. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From evil. And so we see again the context of prayer. We see the context of prayer when Jesus says, address him as father. And the significance of that is missed on us many times because we have been taught over and over again that God is our father. And yet in this, this would have probably been one of the more shocking things they heard him say because he uses the intimate word for father. He uses Abba. He uses the close up, the, the word dad or daddy would be significantly more attuned to what we would say. Or a young child just even calling their dad, dada. But is this, it is implies that when we step into that relationship, it is that we are the, the child, he is the parent, and with that comes this intimate relationship that allows us to be in um, in a, in, a, in a relationship where we don't have to use abnormal words to talk to him. What I mean by that is this. I, I've been in a lot of churches, and I've, I've been around a lot of pastors and elders over the years. And I remember at one of my churches, one of the elders was known for the way he prayed. And, um, and what I mean by that is an older guy, he had a radio show. His, his first name was Richard, and... and, and um, People would say, just wait until you hear him pray. And I'd be like, really? And so 
we were sitting in a elder meeting one night and it was he he started to pray and i've known him but not heard him pray before and his whole vocabulary changed oh lord it became this um presentation he wasn't praying to god he was praying so that he could be heard and his vocabulary totally changed he talked in ways that he doesn't normally talk he talked in ways that somehow made people go oh i love the way that guy prays and it misses the point of prayer we are to use normal language in a normal voice when we talk to god because we are normal people talking to a great God, but he invites us into this, this child-parent relationship, and he says, come to me and talk to me. Don't try to perform for me. When your prayer becomes a performance, it misses the point. And so part of, part of the wrestling with this for me has always been uh, in church, prayer has been something that has has been elevated to a place where I thought I never did it right. Even as a pastor, you kind of go, hmm, how do, how do I lead people in prayer? Short, succinct, meaningful, use plain language so everybody in the room knows what you're talking about. <laughs> and invite them into the presence of a parent who receives them just the way they are. So, plain language, child, parent, then the big picture. We, we seek God's will and pray that will come about. That's the big picture. So we step into this idea. He kind of frames out in this, in this little outline how to, how to step into prayer, things that we can ask for, things that we engage with. And, and part of this is, there's, there's something about praying for the kingdom of God to come, which is bigger than us, and involves God. And I don't know exactly how those pieces fit together. I do know, though, that he invites us into praying for that. And I think the more that we pray for it, the more that we see it. And the more that we see it, the more that we participate in it. And I find this to be true of my prayer life. When I stop looking and I stop seeing, I stop praying. There is, a, there is a something about this that moves us into this conversation with God, and it brings a little mystery. I like the idea that prayer has a little bit of mystery to it. You are praying to someone who is unseen, but yet we see the evidence of him all around us. We see the evidence of what he's doing in people's lives. In order to pray for God's will to come about, we have to trust that God's will is good. We have to trust that what he's about and what he's trying to do in this world and around us in the lives of others, we are assuming that what God is going to do is good. That involves us. It is to, it is to believe that the kingdom of God is rooted in his forgiveness, in his grace, in his kindness, in his uh, wanting to throw a party for his people, there is this understanding among his people, among his children, that we enter into when we pray for these things, something changes. The third thing is we pray for our needs. 
And our, when we pray for our needs, we're asking what we need today. It's a posture of dependence and trust. And you may think, yeah, that's pretty obvious. That's pretty simple. But yet it is included in here that we would pray for our daily bread, that somehow in this is an understanding that even our very sustenance is dependent upon God. Now, this is a hard one for us Americans because we don't think that. We think it's based upon Kroger and our ability to go to Kroger and get what we want to eat. Okay, Publix, Whole Foods, Amazon, wherever you go, for those of you who don't like Kroger. Really. Thanks. <laughs> this is where... I don't particularly like Aldi, but that's okay. <clears throat> Somebody did. I was waiting for Trader Joe, actually, but. No? Okay. Susie likes Trader Joe. Okay. Our, this idea of daily need is, is often missed on us because we don't live in an agricultural environment or, or world anymore. We live in a different kind of um, economic culture. We live, we don't, we don't rise and, our life doesn't rise and set on the weather. It doesn't, whether we have a good crop or a bad crop. And oftentimes this, this idea is missed on us. But yet, it is such a, a, a principled part of understanding our relationship with God that we often miss it. Because we are so self-sufficient, we find ourselves not needing God. We find ourselves in a day-in, day-out routine that doesn't even include God because there's no need for God. And this is probably one of the more grounding statements in Scripture that we would pray for our daily needs, that we would be reminded daily of our need for God, that we would somehow enter into this prayer relationship with God. We would enter into it and say, you know... A, it is to understand that the child has to go to the parent to eat. Children at certain age figure out how to eat themselves, right? Maybe not. Um, but as I watch my kids grow older, what they would pick to eat and what I would give them to eat were different. We were talking about this last night. We were talking about, did you know that they came out with a Sour Patch cereal? No kidding. We were talking about it last night. And then I didn't believe them when they said it, so I Googled it. Anybody seen this in the store? You've ha have you had it? I want to know if they've had it. John wants to know if you've had it. Anybody here eating? Like, is it good? Sour Patch. <laughs> Cereal. Nobody's, nobody's, nobody's admitting to it, John. <laughs> Fruit Loops. Anybody eat Fruit Loops? Yeah. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, Apple Jacks. Well, wow, we're right in your food group. <laughs> food group. Um, what I found was if I allowed my children to eat whatever they want, Cinnamon Toast Crunch rose to the top. And if I wasn't in the mood to fight about it, they would have it for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Obviously, when my wife was not in town. <laughs> and I offered hot dogs. See, I, I would gravitate towards hot dogs and brats and things like that. But they would gravitate towards things that are real and nutritious, like cinnamon toast 
crunch. So here's the point, right? The point is, is that oftentimes we don't even know what we need when we need it. We would prefer what we want. And what is interesting is, is that God the Father allows for us to have the agency to pick and choose what we want. And oftentimes it moves us into this place of self-dependence because oftentimes what we are actually choosing, God would choose something else. And it's easier not to ask, it's easier just to do. And so the other part of this equation that I think is really difficult, especially for the world we live in today, is to say that I am dependent on God for my very existence. And that's what he's saying here. You are dependent, I am dependent on God for my very existence. And what I mean by that, our lives and our sustenance are not our own devices. We, we were given gifts, we were given talents, some of us went to school, some of us, uh, there's just a myriad of things. But all of those were dependent upon other equations. Other things had to happen for us to get there. And, and oftentimes we just forget. I, you know, I've, I've heard stories of people where they said, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. So where did you get your bootstraps? Yeah. That could be. I, uh, she just asked if we struggle asking for our needs because we've been trained or we've been told to ask for other people's needs. Yes and yes. And I also think we struggle with it because it also implies weakness. It implies that we're dependent. It implies that somehow we have to ask God for something that we should be able to get for ourselves. And, and therein lies the, the tension of that relationship. I, my children never struggled with asking me for stuff. And I didn't want them to. I actually wanted them to ask me. And I think that's true of children because they know that they can't get it themselves. See, this is the tension that lies there. And I do believe you are right, though. Part of that is, yeah, but I really shouldn't ask for myself. I should ask for somebody else. And that's part of this. But simply put, humans need to eat. And it is God who provides that. And then there's this relational component. Um, our relate, he says, forgiveness, forgive, yeah, forgiveness is the center of the kingdom life. Forgive those who sinned against you as I've forgiven you. So there's this connection, right? Forgive me my debts, forgive those who trespass against me as I forgive those who trespass. There's this connection in the kingdom life because it is the carryover. We even see it in the story of the prodigal. We see it in this idea that forgiveness as the center of the kingdom life, of the kingdom of God life, is, is paramount to relationship within the kingdom. And that, that God deals with us and how we are to deal with one another. It's part of our prayer life. It's saying it out loud. One of the things that I try to say out loud is, Lord, allow me to see the blind spots where I fail to forgive. Because I fail to forgive. I have a tendency to, to either ignore it, suppress it, and just move on, or I become bitter. Unless I forgive. That's part of the kingdom of God. And so when we invoke the will of God, when we ask for the kingdom to come, we are in essence saying the kingdom will come as we extend forgiveness to one another. As God has extended forgiveness to us. I know you know this. I know inherently you've heard this probably countless times. 
but it's not often that we engage it in such a way that it's part of our relationship with God in a, a, a very obvious way. Forgiveness is the, one of the, the, the hallmarks of the kingdom of God. When we withhold relationship, we're acting very human. When we extend forgiveness, we're acting very divine. And then our struggle. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If there is one thing the evil one doesn't want, is for us to extend forgiveness, to feel forgiveness, to be in relationship with the Father, to get any kind of comfort from the Father, to be able to extend any kind of comfort to somebody else, to receive kindness from the Father and extend kindness to others, to be able to live in such a way that it, it extends the kingdom of God so he, in all his efforts, wants us to be disconnected from the Father. And if we can be disconnected from the Father... Forgiveness is hard. Kindness is more difficult. The, the idea of the kingdom of God becomes a mystery rather than a reality. That's the invitation. The divine element of prayer is the supernatural idea that the kingdom would come and we would embody that. We've been talking about it for months what it means to embody the kingdom of God. But the, the simple principle is, is that through, through the work of God in our lives and through this idea of relationship and through uh, transformation of the work of God in our lives, we begin to act like people who are kind to one another, that encourage one another, that actually care about one another, that we, we would come to the party of the prodigal, that we would step into that party and go, this is, this is where I belong. I know that this person doesn't deserve it, but either do I. See, the prodigal didn't deserve the party. But either did the older son, because the older son didn't get the father any more than the, the younger son. But they were both invited to the party. I, here's my question. Do you feel like you're invited to the party? Because you're invited to the party. The Father has run to you, embraced you, brought you home, forgiven you before you even utter the words. And he throws you a party, and then he invites all of us to come. It's an interesting Jewish saying that I want to share with you from a later time. And I think this encapsulates sometimes how we go about it praying when we hear these words. And they say, when your people pray, give us what you think is best. But when the heathen pray, give them what they ask for. <laughs> say it again. Because it's the difference between going into the party and not. When, you, when your people pray, give us what you think is best. In other words, we trust you. If what we're asking for isn't good, then don't give it to us. But 
when those outside the party pray, give them what they ask for. In other words, let them have what they deserve. The kingdom of God is different. And you're invited into a relationship with a God who says, I love you, I encourage you, and I want to be with you, and I'm for you. And if you approach prayer from that place, something in you will change. And if you change the way you see yourself, I'm not worthy. I'm actually a child of God. I get to be in relationship with this God. It changes the way you approach God. That's the invitation here. So a little insight into me for just a second and prayers. And then we are going to go to the table. See, when my prayers grow cold, it's when I lose sight of the Father. I doubt his goodness. And I know when I'm doing it intellectually. And the last two years for me have been a spiritual struggle. They still are for me. A struggle with what I see in the church, the large C. A struggle with what um, I participated in in my past. I struggle with my worthiness. I struggle with all of those things. And therefore, to come into the presence of God knowing all the things I struggle. It's a long list of things that have happened to me outside of my ability to control, which is, you know, you would think somebody my age would realize that everything's outside your ability to control but yourself. But there is this sense of I should have known better. That long list includes pandemics and making decisions about masks or no masks and getting emails that are extremely hateful and being accused of things I've never done, but yet that's the way it goes. And I look at that, and I, and, I, and I lose sight of God. It starts to chip away at, am I making right decisions? Um, I've had to fire people off of this staff because of finances. I've had my adult children move away. There's wars, there's, there's just church craziness that there's nothing I can do about. I'm being told that I wasn't enough by friends. Being accused of things I never said or did. People leaving Journey and not telling me that they left. And I started to get depressed and I still find myself in that place often. I found myself praying but the prayers weren't being answered. I just had more questions than answers, and I wondered if God was even paying attention. My theology told me he was, but my life told me he wasn't. I could not see his goodness anymore. So I started to doubt. I wondered if I was a fool. Have I really given my life to something that's not real? My prayers became less frequent. God became more distant. I allowed my circumstances in my life to determine my relationship with God. 
and it was sad. So my prayers became more questions and complaints and laments than praise and listening. Prayers were filled with disappointment, struggle, and self-righteousness. <laughs> when I realized I had land on self-righteous, I finally realized where I had landed is that this shouldn't happen to me. I'm better than this. That's self-righteousness. And I stopped seeing God as my provider. And I saw myself as the older son who felt like he deserved something when in reality it was there all along. This shouldn't have happened to me. I'd like to tell you I'm past all that. I'm not. It's real time, real stuff. Um, and so you may ask me, how did it change? It changed, it started to change with the simple reminder of God's provision. God's provided for me in so many ways, just the daily provision of food, friends, relationship, encouragement. I started to, rather than look for the failings, I started to look for the kingdom of God around me. I changed my focus. The thing is, though, I quickly see the other side still. I still can see. I still struggle. I started to be less concerned about injustice that happened to me and started to look for it for others. I started to care about people rather than despise them. Love comes more easily when I'm aligned with how good God has been to me. And so I'm going to ask you to do something different today than what we've done over the last several weeks. I had to start writing down where I saw the goodness of God. And it, it jolted me because it was more evident than I had realized. What I want you to do today when you go to the stations, and we have these four stations around the room, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And when you go there, I want you to write down where you see God's goodness in your life. Writing down where you see goodness changes your perspective on how you're looking. Because we, we can easily find the stuff that's not going well. That's not hard. But how about we just write down this is where I see God really working in his goodness. I want to encourage you to do that. Not just because I want to read something different this week, although it would be great to read how God is blessing you all, but because I want you to change the focus of how you're entering into the presence of God. Because if you see the goodness of God, you'll see the Father. And if you see the Father, you'll see yourself as a child. And you'll want more of the goodness. You'll want more of the goodness. There's also communion in each of those stations. Um, you can uh, get it at the station, go back to your seat. You can stand. You can do whatever you like. You can move around the room. Um, I did ask them to sing a particular song this morning, and you'll know why in just a second. But let's pray.
And Jesus, thank you for these few moments we've had around your word. Pray, Lord, that we have enough time to finish this. Um, I pray that we would see your goodness. Sometimes it's just we get stuck in our own space. Pray blessing over this group of people that they see you as you are, not as we want to see you. That we would see you at work. That we would see how our lives are different because you're involved. And that we would trust you. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. That we might actually enter the kingdom of God and your will would be done. For you truly are our God. Amen.